Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool center. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Yes, a very good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Drive with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to Ian Peterson and the team at Toolmart. Uh, you get the right tool from the start. 12 stores locally owned and operated. Of course, one down there in Bunbury. Those people listening on SEN Spirit 621 through Bunbury and the Southwest. Great to have you on board. Also, those people in the golf fields on SEN 1611, where... Um, We've got a few listeners up there and uh, we look forward to their interaction on the temperate bedshed text line 0487 736 736 or the Scarborough Toyota open line 13 12 55. Also, for those people in the metro area on SEN 657, uh, great to have you on board and also for those people that listening outside Western Australia on the SEN uh, WA app. Now, the big story as it broke uh, yesterday was uh, Ben Rutten. Where is he at in relation to his future at the Essendon Football Club? It appears that Alistair Clarkson now has firmed even closer to taking over the position. It's a matter of when. I think uh, Ben Rutten was at Tullamarine, the training headquarters of Essendon this morning. And, of course, he was mobbed by the media. Difficult. 24 hours been how unsettling has it been for you uh, look it's been okay look it's uh, not ideal obviously but um, it is what it is are you confident you've still got the the playing group Ben? yeah i've got the confidence of the players we've got a job to do and i'm going to coach them the best i can in the next five days all right there you go i'm going to do the best i can in coaching in the next five days it might be his last five days because as i mentioned Making a couple of calls this afternoon. It looks like Alistair Clarkson is really firming to take over the position at the Essendon Football Club. Now, Brett Ratton also spoke today, the St Kilda coach, and uh, he also reflected on when he was axed as the Carlton coach. I do feel for him because it's it's not a great spot to be in and having lived through it myself, um, yeah, it's tough. When, you, when you, you lived through it at Carlton? Yep. You say it affects your family. How does it affect you? When it finally came through, it was sort of, you know, the, the challenge of about being a leader at a football club is to keep leading and be strong, um, even though that the outside pressure is coming. Um, that was something that I said to myself and wanted to fulfil, even though I was under the pressure. The big part that I felt was when the decision was made, I thought I let down a lot of people, um, my family, uh, the assistant coaches that might not be there, people that had worked closely with me that didn't have maybe a job coming up and were then terminated. That's what I felt. I felt I let a lot of people down. Um, I think it took me 12 months to get my confidence back. I lost some confidence from the, you know, being exited yeah. from the job and I was very fortunate to be around good people who supported me. And then I went over to, you know, did some um, study and I got some real confidence from that, um, which was great. So. Yeah, I was pretty fortunate. There you go. And just before we leave the current developments regarding Ben Rutten, of course, one of Essendon's all-time champions is Tim Watson. And he works on Melbourne Radio on SEN 1116. 
And he said this this morning regarding how Rutten should handle the current situation and all the conjecture surrounding him. It's a results-based industry that we operate in. Wins and losses, okay? And they stack up against you one way or the other. Mm. He is entitled, though, to go into the football club today and say, look, are you actively chasing... Alistair Clarkson to coach this club. So do you think he needs to do that as his first point? 100%. You need to first know, well, I would think that they would say to him, I mean, given the relationship they have with him and the fact that, you know, it's been a strong, good relationship between administration and he, then they would be saying to him, look, things have changed in the last 48 hours. Things have changed. Right. And the commitment that our previous president gave to you yes. as a result of the internal review no longer apply because of what's taken place. Okay. So it is in, it is up to them to be upfront and honest with him and to say that to him. We cannot guarantee you this job. In fact, if Al Clarkson is available, we are we are well. If Al Clarkson was to agree to coach our football club, then you would no longer be the coach. There you go. That's Tim Watson's take this morning. But as we sit here at the moment. Uh, ben Rutten is still in place as the Essendon Football Club coach. Now, you mentioned, uh, and it was mentioned on Hayes and Mardo just a short time ago, this is damning on some of the AFL clubs regarding the way they conducted their COVID-19 protocols. Now, the AFL has completed an audit into the compliance of players and the football program staff at AFL clubs in the current AFL season related to testing and testing reporting under the COVID-19 protocols, which form part of the AFL rules. Now, the audit by the AFL Integrity Department intensified a series of non-compliance issues with the protocols at some clubs during the current AFL season, including not undertaking a rapid antigen test, that's a rat test, within the period prescribed by the protocols, and or not uploading an image, which is a photograph, of a prescribed rat test within the period prescribed by the protocols and or uploading an image taken of a previous rat undertaken by that or another person. So the audit found there were five clubs with varying levels of non-compliance. It did not find that any club had obtained a competitive advantage, though, through the failure to comply. And because they were so blasé with their testing, reportedly, the Sydney Swans today were fined $100,000 with $50,000 to be included in the 2022 or 2023 soft cap. Collingwood have fined $50,000, a half to be included in the 2022 or 23 soft cap. Richmond, $25,000, half of that 12 and a half, again, included in the 2022 or 2023 soft cap. The Brisbane Lions were reprimanded and 25000 fully suspended fine and also St Kilda reprimanded and a 25000 fully suspended fine. So while we were doing the right thing, all business practices around Perth and Western Australia, and we as individuals complied when, of course, we tested positive with a rat test and then often we went and got a PCR and if that was positive, we stayed in isolation for seven days. It appears there's been some, do we term it, fudging by certain clubs, and I think it's a bad, bad look for the Sydney Swans in particular, and no doubt by the size of the fine that they have been the main instigators of not delivering properly the to the AFL Integrity Department 
the way these tests needed to be conducted. And we know that COVID has run rampant around Australia for the last two and a bit years, and it's affected so many people's livelihood and so many businesses that at AFL clubs can be so blasé and so irresponsible in the way they reported that to the AFL in relation to the RATS test and everything to do with the COVID protocols. So there you go. That's a a pretty uh, interesting story, and it will develop. It'll be a big story tomorrow because it's actually just landed just a short time ago. And being two hours in front in the eastern states, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, it will be, I think, a, a story. And I gather the clubs will have to answer in some shape or form after those club sanctions were imposed. All right, let's get back on the field. Two good players, two great players today decided to retire from the game. Uh, I'll be speaking to Michelangelo Rucci uh, from Adelaide, of course, part of the Run Home team on SEN South Australia, former leading journalist with the Adelaide Advertiser, the man that broke the story about, by the way, the pre-season Adelaide Crows camp. But today I'll speak to him about Robbie Gray, who will finish his career as one of the most decorated players in Port Adelaide history. It's probably something that's been on my mind for a fair while, to be honest. Um, you know, you get this sort of age and um, probably the issues I've had physically with my body. Um, yeah, I knew it was the right time and as hard as it is to, to make the call and um, uh, admit to yourself, I suppose, it, it is a time. Um, yeah, I'm really comfortable with it, as I just said to the group then, so... Um, know it's the right time and uh, looking forward to, to whatever's next. And your way up, whether you could go for another pre-season, try for another year, or whether this was the best way to end it? Uh, yeah, certainly played on my mind a fair bit because um, this year has has been a struggle and I, I did feel really good coming into the year. But, um, yeah, I suppose um, after I weighed everything up, um, I just felt this was the right call. For, for me personally and probably for the footy club as well. Perfect to end it in a showdown? Uh, yes, uh, I mean, clearly um, they're always great games to play in, so to play in one more and for that to be the last, the way it's happened to work out, um, you know, I certainly look forward to playing this Saturday night. I gave you the dream script, you kicked the winning goal after the soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Just a win reach would be nice. <laughs> So that was Michael Angelo Rucci asking all those questions at the press conference today. So we'll speak to Rucci in just a moment. And the other news is that Richmond great Shane Edwards is set to retire. By the way, Gray, 270 games, will retire after the showdown uh, this weekend against Adelaide. Uh, by the way, Shane Edwards will also retire when the Tigers AFL finals campaign ends, whenever that may be. One of just five Tigers to have played 300 VFL AFL games, a 33-year-old today, signalled the looming end to his dedicated career. In a statement, he says, it's time for me to step aside and move on just as players did for me when I started. Anyway, Michelangelo Rucci after the break and also we'll speak later on to Ben Carrick, who, by the way, was crowned the king of the Avon descent after taking out the 124-kilometre kayak ultramarathon. Because of our AFL commitments with Haggers yesterday, we couldn't speak to Ben. We'll have a chat to him today about uh, the weekend that was uh, coming down the rapids from Northam to Bayswater and taking out the uh, Avon descent. That's a bit later on in the hour. It's 11 past five. This is Drive with Peter Vlahos. All thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmart, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. A little driving on a Saturday.
Just some uh, sports news headlines for Tyre Power. Buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres at Tyre Power. The NRL will wait until later in the week to make a call on which stadium will host the grand final. As talks still continue with the Queensland government about a possible shift. Nick Kyrgios has understandably opted out of the Davis Cup tournament in Europe uh, so he can return home to see his parents who are currently unwell. But he will play Cincinnati and the US Open before he goes home because his mother is certainly not 100% at the moment. And the cricketing world has saluted Australian sporting icon Ian Chappell after he announced he was retiring from his career as a commentator after some, you know, 40-odd years. We'll uh, touch on that a bit more later on. But in the meantime, let's talk football. A lot coming out of Adelaide. They've got the showdown. We had the Derby last Saturday night. They've got the showdown this Saturday night, and it's going to be a big one. As Adelaide and Port Adelaide, of course, uh, will be uh, vying to maybe uh, get out of it. This is their grand final, a victory come their final game of the season. Michelangelo Ricci joined us uh, on the program. Michelangelo Ricci, thanks for your time. Big day, Peter. Big week. It's the showdown. Uh, And it's round 23. Both sides, the Crows or the Power, can't make the AFL finals. This is a grand final. Don't worry about that at the Adelaide Oval. And they farewell Port Adelaide, one of their greats. Robbie Gray making the decision today to hang up the boots at the end of the showdown after 271 games. What a warrior he's been for the Power over the years. Absolutely, Petty. You know, it's been on the cards for some time because it's been a tough year for Robbie Gray. But even with that official announcement this morning, you just kept, you know, doing the Shoeless Joe moment. Just say it ain't so. Say you're going to go for another year. Give us some more. Because we just we just love watching Robbie Gray. Whether you are a Port Adelaide supporter, whether you're a football fan in total, I, I, I defy anyone to say that they've, never watched Robbie Gray and wanted to applaud him. And you talk to opposition players. We spoke to Rory Laird, who's the Crows champion midfielder, who said in the most admiring way that he can't wait to see see the back of him. So that was, you know, a mark of respect and mark of admiration to say, this guy is so good on the football field that, you know, we can't put a candle next to him. So what a relief it is not to face him anymore as an opponent, but what sadness that he's no longer the same on the football field entertaining us as fans. It's interesting. I just played a bit of the uh, press conference before you came on, and you asked the question, wouldn't it have been a great farewell if he, uh, in the last kick of the game and the showdown on the weekend, he kicks a winning goal for Port Adelaide? But he's done that numerous times during his career. He's been a big game player. Yeah, he's got the AFL record for the most last scores that lead to being a winning score. And that's not just goals, that's just behind, that can be behinds as well. He's had, he's had a couple of classic behinds that have actually broken deadlocks and given Port Adelaide a win. But we all remember the, the big goals, the one against St Kilda, right at a grey on the 50-metre arc, where he just, like, it was, he just cut through every St Kilda midfielder and just made the defenders look silly as he had that kick at the northern end of Adelaide Oval. And we're not going to forget the one at the Gabba where, you know, there's... Uh, as it was, who was it who said Anthony Hudson? I said he just has ice in his veins when he had that set shot mm. on the boundary to beat Carlton. So there's some memorable moments with Robbie Gray, and there's a showdown. He won five showdown medals. 
They'd love them to win the six. They would, well, imagine a farewell game where you buy you the best on ground in the showdown and you kick the winning goal as well. I mean, how, how would that be? I mean, he deserves it. I mean, we talk about Josh Kennedy's final game for West Coast. Robbie Gray deserves just the same. But unfortunately, that's it. We don't see him again after Saturday night. It's yeah. been... 2006 that he was drafted, a really late pick for Port. He turned up at Alvin thinking, well, be lucky if I get a game. That was his thought. He's played 271 by the end of his career. Sadly, no grand final, no premiership. That's that's just a sad note to think that such a great player wouldn't have that experience and wouldn't have a premiership medal. Mm. And if you know what he's all about, Robbie Gray, it's all about team, not about individual. I reckon he'd melt down every trophy he has just to have a premiership medal. But it doesn't work out that way always, does it? No, it doesn't. Of course, three-time John Cale medal, fairest and best at Port, and, of course, a four-time All-Australian, as you mentioned. Five mm-hmm. showdown medals. The best we have here is, of course, a man that works here at SENWA, Port Hazelby, with four Glendening Allen medals. Saying that, when you look at the, the showdown this week... Uh, Robbie Gray, hopefully we have a great farewell. We've had a couple in a couple of weeks here. Josh Kennedy, of course, with the Eagles, and everyone says, where's he in the pecking order of all-time uh, great West Coast Eagles players? Then we had David mm. Mundy, uh, the big farewell, even though he'll probably return in a couple of weeks' time for either a qualifying or an elimination final. Where does he go in the pecking order? Some saying he's ahead of five. Others are saying maybe behind five and Pavlich. Where does Robbie Gray sit at Port Adelaide, do you think? Well, you've got to remember Port Adelaide has a storied history from, since 1870, so they're always the greatest player will be Russell Ebert, the late Russell Ebert, a legend in the Australian Football Hall of Fame. But when we just talk purely AFL players, gee, they've had a parade of champions since 1997. I mean, you think of Warren Treadray and how great he was as a key forward, playing the toughest position on the ground. He, he was extraordinary. And you know, Matthew Primus, a ruckman who had the AFL change the rules to dent his influence on the game. But if you're talking about pure class and entertainment value and knowing that he's a big occasion player, it's hard to look past Robbie Gray. Ken Inkley rates Robbie Gray as Port Adelaide's best in the AFL era. It's a, it's a great debate because, you know, bear in mind, they had both Burgoyne boys there. They had both Cornses. Uh, Josh Franco, who was a runner-up in a Brownlow medal. I mean, they've had some great players. But Robbie, Robbie Gray is going to be always in that top 10 list. It's just a question of how you rank them from 1 to 10. Mm, interesting. Looking at the showdown, Port will be trying to close it out by winning both. But saying that, Adelaide have shown some significant improvement in the last couple of weeks. Uh, this could be a, a pretty close game of footy at Adelaide Oval. Well, we know how Adelaide play. They're very tough at the contest and they, they want to make it a, a close game because they just love making competitive footy. That's their DNA. That's what Matthew Nix has brought to them. Now, we saw what Port did against Essendon and now we're beginning to wonder, well, what was that all about? But they, they built their confidence. You saw what they like when they get their attacking game going and they don't have the turnovers. And what you can't dismiss is regardless of what form line is, we always say that about showdown, but imagine the responsibility on those Port Adelaide players when they go out onto Adelaide Oval, 7pm Saturday, knowing they've got to honour one of the greatest players that they've ever had alongside them. There's a there's a non-negotiable factor for every Port Adelaide player. And you think, they'd be sitting there at Adelaide going, great, thanks for this. Mm. And the prison bar, Guernsey, is dead and buried again for another year. Club chairman David Kosh, is he fighting a losing battle against Collingwood? But 
because uh, it was an issue again just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, Peter, if he hadn't gone on radio, David Kosh, two weeks ago and inflamed that issue, I'm, I'm more than sure Port Adelaide would have been wearing the bars in this showdown. Really? Um, I, I, had, I was very confident. I thought the progress that was being made at Collingwood with Jeff Brown understanding exactly what the jumper uh, represents. And you've got to remember, Jeff Brown was part of the AFL Legal Council. Yeah. When Port Adelaide wanted to break away from the Sandville and join the VFL in 1990, he understands everything about the history in this city of Port Adelaide and the rest and what it is Port Adelaide the Crows. The presentations made to Jeff Brown to have him understand why that jumper is so appropriate in the showdowns is is there. He just he can't make a ruling on his own. He needs to get a full board, you know, acceptance of it. And two weeks ago it looked very, very promising. So now we will go through a situation that over the summer we'll have that all debated out again. You know, David Koch will have to you know, sort of eat a bit of humble pie on what his remarks on radio two weeks ago and they'll progress. But then the next fight becomes and, and I'm staggered that it continues to just generate more and more debates where Adelaide says got no problem with port wearing it in a Port Adelaide showdown, but they won't tolerate it being worn in an Adelaide showdown. And yet we've got GWS who wears a battle of the bridge jumper in both derbies in Sydney and the Swans don't complain. And I've never heard the Crows complain about heritage jumpers worn by Fremantle, Brisbane and Sydney and even Hawthorne this year at Adelaide Oval. So I think they're they're playing a, a silly card at like they actually think they dictate what the opposition wears. And and again this comes back to where's the AFL? Surely it's not an issue of clubs to debate what jumpers are worn on the football ground. It's clubs present them, the AFL approve them, move on. Mm. Well, why do we have why do we have Collingwood holding a mandate that is stronger than the AFL commission on a jumper? Why would Adelaide want to go down that path as well next year? I, I, it mm. just doesn't make sense. And if you can tell me why, any competition would deny itself a symbol tells the story of South Australian football, I'll be surprised. I, I, I can't imagine there's any league in the world that would look at that jumper and say, oh, we've got to bury it because mm. we don't want to talk about the history of this game. It's just insane. It is insane. It's real petty politics, isn't it? So it's incredible that it keeps uh, surfacing every year and there hasn't been a conclusion to it one way or the other. Michelangelo, you broke the story some years ago about that infamous... Adelaide pre-season camp. And again, it's reared its ugly head a couple of weeks ago. You, as the person who got all the information, and we know what transpired following that, uh, what are your thoughts on it all, the fact that it keeps bubbling under the surface? Well, it's one of the saddest chapters in the Adelaide Football Club's history and one that should have never have reached the number of pages that it has today. It's five years old, and it really just required uh, even... Two years ago, when when John Olsen became the new chairman, and I remember speaking to John saying the best move he could make was ring seven players, introduce himself as the new chairman, and apologise, and open the door for those players to come back, and just speak freely about their experience. And then inevitably, they were going to get an apology. They deserve an apology for the way in which their trust was betrayed by their coach, their chief football people, and a group of outsiders who, in my thinking, purely my thinking, should never have been involved in any pre-season camp for the Adelaide Footy Club. So 
it, it's a, a saga that never needed to go this far. It could have been dealt with immediately after the camp, but the the way in which... Look, John Olson, as chairman, has a famous saying that he uses a lot. The cover-up is usually worse than the crime, mm. and that's the case here with Adelaide. There was, there was a problem, and the betrayal of trust towards the players is just abhorrent. You can't, you can't justify it, and I'm glad no-one's trying to justify it, but what happened afterwards, the way in which it became worse by Adelaide just not you know, admitting to their faults was horrendous. I mean, we always remember the Brett Burton, Don Pike press conference where you had two men speaking of the same thing in different languages. It's clear that Don Pike wanted to you know, put it all on the table and Brett Burton didn't. Now, that's, that's 2018 and yeah. it still haunts them to this day. Well, you were right across it, as we know, all those years ago uh, in relation to being a newsbreaker. You certainly are, and, of course, you're part of the SEN family now. Michelangelo Rucci, thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to the showdown. It should be an absolute beauty. I really am looking forward to it, and it'll be a special moment for Robbie Gray and everybody that follows uh, Port Adelaide. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll keep in touch. Look forward to the finals on your end as well. Yeah, looking forward to see whether the Dockers can do something special. Thanks, Michelangelo. They're better. Great to have your company. Peter Vlahos with you and a big cheerio to Paul McGovern, who's uh, just texted me listening in on uh, SEN. Good on you, Paul. Uh, we need to catch up, uh, formerly of WA Hino, but now is at Lombardi's out there, GNA Lombardi out there in Forestfield. Hope it's going well for you, Paul. A big Dockers supporter, by the way, and he's getting very excited about not only this week, uh, of course, they take on the Giants. They should win that and where they finish. But there is a home final, whether it's elimination or qualifying, we'll have to wait and see. Thanks for the text, mate. I look forward to catching up soon. Well, let's look at one of the big events. I didn't have a chance to do it yesterday because Kim Hagdorn and I, of course, have the AFL review. But I thought it's well worth acknowledging the gentleman who was crowned the king of the Avon descent after taking out the 124-kilometre kayak ultramarathon. By the way, next year is the 50th anniversary of the Avon descent. And the old phrase, we never thought it would last. Well, it's lasted now, next year, a half a century, which is a credit and has become an icon of uh, the WA sporting calendar every year. Ben, thanks for joining us on the program and congratulations. Great to be here, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Have you recovered? Um, I wouldn't say fully recovered. The body doesn't feel too bad, but I think uh, the mind's a bit tired. Needs a rest still. Yeah, tell us about the event. Uh, above average rainfall. Uh, the water was there, but I heard at times it got a bit hazardous. Tell us about the trip that you took, of course, at over eight hours to complete. Uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, so I think 1.3 metres on the gauge in the valleys around about what we did the trip on, which is considered quite high levels um, by most standards. We've been kind of blessed the last couple of years. We had it up around two metres the year before. Um, but, yeah, great great levels for tripping. Um, definitely hazardous in the sense of there's so much water moving through the 40K of rapids in the valley. Um, lots of wave trains, big standing waves. But really, so I guess it's just boat maintenance and staying upright is the key for most people. Mm. Tell us about, is this your first one? Uh, or how many have you undertaken, Ben? Uh, uh, I gather the way you handled it on the weekend suggests you've done it a few times before. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not my first rodeo. Um, this is uh, number 11, I believe. 
Um, and I think it's taken, I've sort of progressed up from the plastic class, which is sort of the entry, and then I've moved into the single kayak, which is probably the the fastest premier class. And um, yeah, I've had a, a couple of cracks at the kayak and I didn't finish one year, wrapped my boat around a tree. So it put a big body of training in for the last sort of four to six months and a lot of focus on sort of understanding the river and the rapids and the trees. And yeah, it's all paid off on the weekend. It must be a huge adrenaline rush when you're actually going down those treacherous rapids and really you've got to be, have your wits about you because there are so many obstacles. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you sort of know what you're coming up to most of the time, um, but still your heart's in your mouth sometimes. You kind of know your line, you know where you're meant to go, but there's always that element of not quite knowing that you're going to make it. Um, But yeah, it is a bit of an adrenaline rush. So how much reconnaissance do you do before the event on the weekend? Yeah, so, like, we basically, like, we just sort of rely on the rain. As soon as a bit of rain comes up, we can get up and start running outside 2J through the tree section, which is about 14 kilometres. We do as many as we can up there. Then once the water gets to sort of, you know, around 0.7 of a metre, we get into the valley, which is a nice stretch of about 40 kilometres down to Bells, um, which can be quite a long day out if you have a few hazards along the way. But pretty well, I don't know, as much as my wife will let me get up, so I'd say every second weekend. (laughs) But it's grown exponentially, the event. Over 500 competitors for the uh, 2022 version. That says something for the popularity of the Avon Descent. Yeah, absolutely. I think... um you speak to anyone who does this event it's it's an amazing it's an amazing piece of river we have here in WA um, with the this tree section followed by the valley and depending on the water levels you can have two completely different experiences if you have low water or high water um, so yeah it's the challenge of getting to the bottom um, is just one in its own it's it's truly a great event mm. And the reason why you keep coming back, as you mentioned, this was the 11th attempt at the Avon Descent. What keeps drawing you back? I think for me, it's been a a natural sort of evolution. I've come from surf life saving into ocean paddling, then into the Avon as sort of my winter sport. And I've just kept pushing up the classes and to, I guess, finally compete in the top level. Um, Yeah, I guess to take it out this year was something I didn't, you know, three years ago, I wouldn't have expected could have happened, but there was a couple of really good paddlers um, this year who are heading over to World Champs and they've elected to pick up a team. So they left the door open a little bit in the singles class, so I sort of took the opportunity. Mm. So where you mentioned about the World Champs, what are your aspirations after, of course, getting first past the line down there in Bayswater on Sunday? Yeah, so for me, um, I guess my big, my big sort of event in paddling is sort of ocean racing, downwind racing. So that's sort of coming up into season now um, and it sort of ends in November. There's a what we call race week over here. There's about four or five events and sort of culminating in the race back from Rottnest, the doctor, which will probably see the best sort of ocean racing field, 500 competitors sort of ever assembled, I'd say, this year. Mm. What about your time? Were you happy with that? Eight, uh, eight, 16, 25? Yeah, absolutely. The water level really determines your time. Um, so, you know, I think looking across both days, I think it was about three hours, 20 odd day one and just under five on day two. If you say that's going to be your time for that race, I take that every year. That's fantastic. And no doubt you'll be there the 50th anniversary uh, next year. It's going to be a special event. As I said, a lot of people, when they started back 
1973 would not have thought that this event would go for 50 years and grow ex- exponentially as it has. No doubt uh, you'll be there to defend the title next year in 12 months' time. Yeah, I think it's um, a little bit of negotiations at home with the wife. <laughs> if I can get out again with the, <laughs> the second bubs on the way in November, so a bit more family time. But yeah, look, I think I definitely will be back out on the river, especially for the 50th, um, in some shape or form. And yeah, look, hopefully a lot of people can come back to the events who've done it in the past to sort of celebrate that massive milestone. Uh, do you see a lot of uh, familiar faces when you return? As you said, you've done it 11 times. Uh, do you recognise a few that have been there uh, the times that you've been there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the paddling community is one of the great communities. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there's almost everyone on the river you'd recognise in some shape or form. And I think it goes the whole way down. Like, you know, if someone has an issue, there's always someone pulling over to give them a hand, to find them a paddle, to tape up their boats whatever it is, it's such a, such a good community. Mm. Where do you normally paddle, by the way? Um, I paddle all over the place, but in winter I paddle down at East Perth um, with a group of, um, called Perth Paddlers, a great mm-hmm. bunch, mm-hmm. Um, really open and inclusive. I also spend um, a little time paddling down out of Mozzie Park and down out of Ascot Kite Club. Yeah. But, yeah, just, just move around as, as required and paddle with the different groups of paddlers around Perth. During summer, do you head uh, into the ocean? Absolutely. I'm a member down at City of Birth uh, Surf Life Saving Club, so I take the ski squad there. So you'll find me down there most of summer. Because I live down Sorrento Way, and the paddlers go out there on Saturday mornings, Tuesday and Thursday, and particularly during summer, they reckon one of the biggest paddling groups is actually at the Sorrento Surf Life Saving Club, where up to 100 paddlers get out there normally on a Saturday morning. That'd be a huge group, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's a massive group. That's the um, Indian Ocean Paddlers Club. Yeah. Um, run by one uh, Dean Beamont, the chief. So, yeah, I'm a member of that club as well. That's an absolutely fantastic ocean paddling crew. Um, and that's that's probably one of the, been the fastest ocean sort of all-growing clubs in Perth, let alone Australia. Yeah, no, I see it. I see it during summer. There's a few out there today. While I was getting dumped in the ocean, they were out there paddling a good <laughs> handful of them. So don't don't, don't worry about that. Uh, they're very, very hardy and they enjoy it. Good on you, mate. Congratulations, Ben, on a, uh, an outstanding performance. 124 k's is a long uh, distance. And uh, to take it out in just over eight hours is testimony to your concentration and your ability. Congratulations. Thanks for joining us. And let's hope everything goes to plan and you're there next year to defend it. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Peter. Thanks a lot. Good on you. Ben Carrick joining us here on the uh, Drive with Peter Vlahos program for Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, eight hours he was there. Okay, it was broken overnight because they do pause. Uh, they have it over two days. But eight hours, 16 minutes and 25 seconds. It featured paddlers, outriggers, surf boats, even dragon boats, uh, army zodiacs. I'm not sure what army zodiacs are, but if someone does know, uh, give us... Uh, a little bit of a tinkle on the temperate bedshed text line, 0487 736 736, or the Scarborough Toyota open line, the number to call there, 13 12 55. After the break, uh, we'll come back with all the latest in sport, plus also the latest happenings in the AFL. Don't go away. It's coming up 18 to 6. Yes, welcome back. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the program, the cricket world today has saluted Australian sporting icon Ian Chappell after he announced he was retiring from his career as a commentator. He's 78 years old now, Chappelle. 
and he reckons the retirement earlier this year of Ray, Ray Warren, the rugby league commentator, had spurred his decision. Uh, as we know, a 75-test match career as a player, including 30 as a captain. He was just an inspirational captain. Of course, captain the likes of the Rod Marshes and the Dennis Lillies and his brother Greg Chappell and Doug Walters, Ian Redpath, some of the greats of Australian cricket. Uh, he was there. Um, when you look at those uh, years, uh, he was a fine leader and also very, very good and astute cricket commentator. After he retired from Test cricket, he quickly moved into the media landscape and he was the last member still in the chair from Channel 9's famous commentary team. Of course, that included the late Richie Benno, the late Tony Gregg, and of course, Bill Laurie retired just a few years ago from the television commentary. So, Ciappelli, uh, those were the great days. When you looked at that commentary team that Channel 9 assembled, put together by Kerry Packer on the back end of World Series cricket, and when the Cricket Australia came together with World Series cricket and they unified after, of course, uh, the Rebel situation where Packer bought all the best players and they ran World Series cricket, then they unified and, of course, he held the rights to the cricket on the Nine Network and brought together Richie Benno, Bill Laurie, Tony Greggy and Chappell. It was just great to watch. And they were the best generation of cricket commentators for mine. Personalities, characters, and, gee, they were good cricketers in their own right. So uh, happy retirement, Ciappelli. You've brought a lot of people a lot of pleasure in the way you've analysed the great game, our national game, and as a 78-year-old, I think it's time to retire. As I mentioned, uh, spurred on a bit by the retirement earlier this year of Ray Warren. Okay, let's move on. Uh, as I said, to AFL, there's been another issue that developed from that blockbuster game between the Sydney Swans and Collingwood was the booing of Jack Ginnivan. Now, today, John Longmire spoke, and this is what he had to say. It's not so much just a, just a message for our fans. I think just across the competition, it's important that... Um, that we respect all players and and um, I, I personally have never gone to the footy and thought about booing. Um, it's just not something that's, that's crossed my radar. Hopefully you can go to the game and enjoy it for what it is, a great contest. Um, and I think that's what we should be mindful, not just our fans, but fans right across the competition. I just think it's mindful to be um, you know, respecting all players that go out there and put their best foot forward every week. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Put yourself out there and, and play every week on the biggest stage and, and just be mindful of that right across the competition. Jack Ginevan won't be the first and he won't be the last player to be booed. It's been happening uh, at sporting contests and Australian rules football matches for a long, long time. I suppose in some way he laid his bed early in his career. He was a bit of a smart aleck and no doubt uh, he got up the goat of a lot of AFL supporters, uh, but in the end now, uh, has it gone too far? I'm not sure, but Nathan Jones is just recently out of the game, uh, the Melbourne champion, and he says that the AFL now should take some action. I think they should say something, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be... Uh, I'd be supportive of, you know, a memo of some sort. I just don't think it's in the spirit of the game, you know. I, I, I have no issue with booing him when he plays, and if you don't like that he you know, draws free kicks and that kind of thing, but yeah, I wasn't a fan that they're booing him. Yeah, he sits on the bench, obviously injured with a hamstring and probably may not play again um, this season, which is, which is frustrating for a young young bloke. And um, and and that's probably one of the most dis 
disappointing spots to be in as a player when your body lets you down. So, um, yeah, I just don't think it's really called for. And as I mentioned, I don't think it's really in the spirit of the game. Yeah, it's not in the spirit of the game these days, but I can't see how you're going to stamp it out. In the end, fans say we pay our money and sometimes inflated money to come to the footy. We can say what we like as long as it doesn't insult anybody. And that is, of course, uh, insult when it comes to race and religion and those sort of things that, of course, are taboo at any sporting contest. Uh, Lisa's got on the temperate bedshed text line at 0487 736 736. Good evening, Lisa. Sad to hear all these players retiring. Robbie Gray was an exciting player. Uh, to me, he's in the top five. His game-breaking moments in games that were on the line was sensational. There's no question I mentioned that with Michelangelo Rucci. He's certainly a big game player and scored some important goals right at the death to get his side over the line. And not just goals, but even behinds. Even his comeback after he was diagnosed with testicular cancer in 2017, that nothing was going to stop him from getting back and playing the game he loved. So well done to Robbie Gray. And of course, well done to Shane Edwards as well, who today announced his reply, uh, his retirement. And the showdown is going to be a, a great game. They'll pack it at the Adelaide Oval because the last time uh, the Power fans or the Crows fans will be able to see their teams for 2022, it's like a grand final. Bragging rights uh, to take over summer. Port Adelaide, by the way, won the first one and they'll be looking to make it uh, two zip when it comes to the showdown this season. The other story regarding uh, the minor premiers Geelong is where Jeremy Cameron sits at the moment with that slight hamstring problem. It appears, and Chris Scott's come out suggesting he should be right for the first week of the finals. His teammate, Patrick Dangerfield, said this today. Whilst he's strained at his, his hammy, I think there's a guy that, wear num- that wears number five that um, I think he's primed for a, a very, very big September given the season that he's had. So um, I think Des might have the cape on um, throughout September this year. He's just, boy, he's had an incredible season. Is the hammy a worry? Uh, well, yes, it is. You'd rather not it, it not happen, uh, but my understanding is it's very much on the uh, on the um, lighter side of things. So it's funny how how things work out. But you know, ten days ago for us, we could happily keep playing through this bye. We don't need it. Then all of a sudden, you know, it's something like this happens, and it's like, well. You know what? The buy's not too bad. Yep. I think it's good. I think it's uh, something that should stay in the in the schedule. And uh, <laughs> Jez, you've got uh, three weeks to get right, and uh, no worries. That's uh, Patrick Dangerfield on Waitley this morning on SEN there in Melbourne regarding where Jeremy Cameron sits at this point in time. Not forgetting, uh, we'll uh, also have a look at all the AFL teams for the final round of home and away fixtures round twenty three on Thursday night when Kim Hagdorn joins us in the studio. Just repeating that story that we mentioned earlier, that the AFL has completed an audit into the compliance of players and football program staff at AFL clubs in the current AFL season related to testing and testing reporting under the COVID-19 protocols, which form part of the AFL rules. It appears some clubs didn't do the right thing. Uh, A number of clubs breached the AFL rules, incorporating the AFL COVID-19 protocols, and Sydney Swans have been hit with $100,000 fine, 50000 to be included in the 2022 or 2023 uh, soft cap. Collingwood, 50000 fine. Half of that in those uh, caps, 2022 or 2023. Richmond, $25,000 fine. Half of that again into those two years. Brisbane Lions have been reprimanded in a 25000 fully suspended fine. 
and St Kilda reprimand and also a $25,000 fully suspended fine. We'll have more on that tomorrow. Thanks for joining us. Good on you, Lee. Thanks, Jimmy, uh, for helping us uh, with the program here today. I'll be back again at 5 tomorrow. This has been Drive with Peter Vlahos here on SENWA. All thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. Have a good night.